Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Guardian. Today, the CrossFit gym junkie of the skies and a zoologist who embarked on an emotional journey to save them. Like you feel like you're, you are flying the plane. You feel all of the, the bumps in the air and stuff like that. You feel everything that the wing is doing because you're holding on to it. Like you're literally moving and flying the wing. It's a different, completely different experience. Welcome to Look At Me, I'm Ray Johnston. When it comes to Australian native animals, everyone thinks about koalas and kangaroos and drop bears, but what about the creepy animals? What about the niche ones, the ones with groupies? The ones that don't make it onto coins or bluey? That's what we're here to talk about with my co-host, Chris McCormack from Remember the Wild. Hey, Chris. G'day, Ray. I've got a good one for you today, but uh, I gotta be honest, this animal wasn't actually born in Australia. Have you read the description of this show, Chris? It's kind of an know, important part a, of it. It's an Australian species. I, I, we can, I think we can claim it. You know, we claimed Lord. Uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> we claim Crowded House. We claim everything from New Zealand. Is this one from New Zealand? Yes. <laughs> no, it's not, but I think we can. It's the same sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> this animal was actually born in Siberia. And it comes here once a year to spend a bit of time on our shores. Okay, but it spends time here. I'm assuming it gets here by itself. I can't imagine that it's, you know, coming here to hang out because people are travelling overseas and bringing it back with them, or maybe they are. I never know with you. (laughs) This could be some kind of parasite or bug or lice or something that people are bringing into the country. (laughs) Yeah. This animal does an amazing migratory journey from the northern hemisphere and then spends a chunk of time with us here in Australia. Well, I'm going to assume this is not a land-dwelling animal. This has got to be something that flies or is in the ocean. So that really does not narrow it down for me yet. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, It's born in the northern hemisphere in a place where most listeners probably haven't visited the Siberian Arctic. Oh, wow. Now I'm thinking of what's born in the Arctic. I just think of things like polar bears and penguins. Is it a penguin? Have I guessed it already? <laughs> Do you think there are, there are penguins in the Arctic? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, penguins are... Penguins are 
only in the southern hemisphere. Um, I love I love the glee in your voice as no, you own me I'm on an animal fact. You. I'm not. I'm, it's a fun story. <laughs> so the East Asian Australasian flyway is one of nine flyways in the world, and flyway is just a fancy word for a migration route. Um, they all, broadly speaking, connect the northern hemisphere with the southern hemisphere, and in between those two poles, they do these eight, nine, ten thousand kilometre long flights. This is Harry Sadler, and Harry Sadler is an author. Um, he's a bit of a nature nerd like myself, uh, except far more successful um, and valuable. Nice. And he wrote a book all about this species. They live a life basically a perpetual summer, <laughs> so that so they fly thousands of kilometres, so they don't have to get cold, basically. <laughs> yeah. So there's one theory that they evolved in the far north. And then as the funnel started getting colder in winters, they started migrating. People often ask why breed in the Arctic where it's so remote and so such a long way to go. But for a very brief period of time, like the six weeks of the Arctic summer <laughs> or the far northern summer, it's incredibly productive. If you can imagine that there's only six weeks of the year in which everything that lives in that part of the world has an opportunity to do its stuff. All the plants have enough light to grow. All the insects have that warm weather and all the meltwater from the snow and ice to hatch. It's party time. There's, there's birds breeding. Everything is going 24-7 because, of course, there's 24-hour sunlight. So for six weeks of the year, the Arctic and the subarctic just absolutely goes off. So <laughs> it's, it's a great place to raise a clutch of young shorebirds, but only for a very, very small period of time. So it's like a, a six-week festival atmosphere happening in the Arctic with just every organism in existence going, woohoo, there's something kind of warm happening. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a good enough reason to be born there. It must be one hell of a party for sure. Yeah, it's a Siberian bush dove. Um, All right, so I know it's not a penguin, but it's definitely a bird. This could be pretty much any bird at this point because clearly I've established I do not know what animals live or are born in the Arctic. You need to put me out of my misery with this one, I think. So the particular species, Ray, we're talking about today is called the Eastern Curlew. And Oh, the Curlew! Yeah, well, the Eastern Curlew. Um, there's also things like the Bushstone Curlew that live here in Australia that you might be more familiar with. That sort of I am, yes. stand still in the bush and hide and scream and things like that at night. Um, that's <laughs> the screaming for sure. <laughs> so, so they're all a part of um, a group of birds called the shorebirds. But the eastern curlew is a part of the migratory shorebirds. Ah, unlike the bushstone curlew, it actually does live by the shore. But they are related. Yes, they are. They're in the, the same broader group. But um, I'll show you a picture and you'll see it. It doesn't look a heck of a lot like uh, bushstone curly. No. Oh, it's actually really beautiful. It's got this stripy brown and soft tan feathers and a beautiful big curved beak. And these are gorgeous birds. Not very colourful, but... But gorgeous. Yeah, that's right. So they're, they're, they're definitely more on the camouflage side of things, particularly when they're for when they're in Siberia, I guess, at their, their, their bush doof there and they're wanting to blend in. I remember turning the pages of the first field guide I have and they just sort of loomed over everything else. They're these 
big bird with a big long beak, and I think it's mostly the the beak, um, which really catches my attention, kind of catches everyone else's attention as well. Uh, the, the comparison that I always make is that as a giraffe's neck is to the mammal world and eastern curlew's beak is to the bird world, it's just this extraordinary long curved thing, five times the length of the bird's head. <laughs> so it just it, you see it and straight away you think, well, I've got to find out more about that animal. That's amazing. <laughs> What purpose does this big, long beak serve? Five times the length of your body is is pretty significant. That's not just like a, oh, yeah, I suppose the beaks are a little large. It's more of a this has evolved for some pretty distinctive reason. I like to think when I think about bird beaks, particularly migratory shorebird beaks, because there's a lot of differentiation diversity in migratory shorebird beaks, I imagine, you know, you walk into a tool shed and you see all these different hand tools, say, hanging up or, you know, in in your toolbox, and they all are shaped in a different way because they all serve a different function. They all have a specific function. And it's a bit the same with bird beaks. So why have such a long curved beak? And it has to do with the way these birds feed, of course. Eastern curlews have evolved to feed deeper in mudflats than any of the other birds out on the mudflats can, which is why they have these long beaks. Beneath the surface of the mud is an incredibly rich ecosystem of all sorts of invertebrates, from worms to shrimps to crabs to clams, all sorts of uh, really interesting animals, which are also very, very high in protein, which is great if you're a bird that has just flown or is just about to fly 10,000 kilometres. It's a really incredible food resource, which is why migratory shorebirds tend to really focus on intertidal mudflats at all points of their migration up until they get to the breeding grounds. That's really cool. So they don't really have competition for the food that they're getting. So I I imagine then that they'd be quite comfortable in their existence. There wouldn't really be a, a lack of food for them if they're the only ones that can reach it. Oh, no. Are we ruining mudflats? <laughs> we'll come to the doomsday later. The notable thing compared to other migration routes about the East Asian Australasian Flyway is that it has a lot of water. It's got a lot of open sea and open ocean. And that's significant because shorebirds with a couple of of exceptions, they're not swimming birds. They can't swim. So they fly over open ocean and if they get tired and fall into the sea, then that's it. They're done for. (laughs) Um, Which for birds in the flyways in the Americas is not such a problem. If they hit bad weather, they can land flying over South America or Central America or up the US into Alaska. They've got a lot of land. They've got a lot of turf they can land on. We know also that they're not gliding and soaring birds like eagles or birds of prey are, or even albatrosses, which use thermals from the waves. Shorebirds are purely flapping birds. So they're flapping for days and hundreds or thousands of kilometres at a time without stopping. These are resilient birds, is what I'm hearing. They are like the CrossFit gym junkies of the bird world, just with their big powerful wings, just making it across an ocean. Yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're incredible. They are, they are the extreme athletes of the bird world. 
and so do the yo-yo dieters because they lose, you know, in that journey, they lose a lot of fat and then they have to stack it back on. So obviously once they complete this big journey and they're all skinny and exhausted and they need all this food and they're wanting to dive into this all-you-can-eat mud flats buffet, you're going to tell me something bad about this now, aren't you? We're ruining these mud flats, aren't we? Of course we are. Um, and for good reason. Because we want to build shops on them. That's not a good reason. We need shoes. No! Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. The Eastern Curlew population has crashed 80, 80% in the last 30 years. And so these populations are just in freefall. And it's not a mystery why it's happening. It's happening because of habitat destruction. Until very recently, a lot of the conservation focus for migratory shorebirds in the East Asian Australasian Flyway has focused on the Yellow Sea um, because that's where a lot of the tidal mudflat habitat has been destroyed. Uh, we're now appreciating that Habitat at every stop in the migration route is important, but particularly in Australia because even though they don't breed here, they spend more time in Australia than in any single other country in the flyway. So migratory shorebird habitat in Australia, whether that's salt marsh or mudflat, wherever they are, it's all crucial and every bit of it is important and deserves to be saved and it's not a problem for other people in other countries. It's a problem that we have to face up to right here in Australia. So Sandy Beach is no good to most shorebirds. They need these mud flats, these large, expansive areas of mud, shallow water in some parts of it. And th for humans, we tend to look at that and go, oh, gross, or that's that's wasted land, or it's it's, you know, let's turn it into something useful. Right. So it's kind of like how we see mangroves as just being stinky areas that we should be building on instead of leaving them to be able to do the job that they're needed for. That's right. So, you know, unfortunately, these shorebirds, they're just primitive creatures reliant on an ecosystem that, well, it's just not, it's not valuable enough. You know, Ray, we need shops. We need shops. So, for example, in Queensland, there's an internationally recognised wetland mudflat site where many migratory shorebirds, including the eastern curlew, congregate. It's called Toonda Harbour and it's up for development. The idea, Ray, being that, well, we've got to get rid of this mudflat because we need, I cannot stress this enough, we need shops. 
<sighs> Aren't there international laws protecting these sorts of places? Yeah, there, there are. The Ramsar Convention is a treaty that aims to conserve the world's rare and important wetlands. And lots of countries like Australia sign up to the Ramsar Convention promising to conserve these important sites. We've got several Ramsar listed sites here in Australia and Toonda Harbour is actually going to be built on one of them, the Moreton Bay wetlands. So if these areas have these protections in place, how is it that we're still able to be destroying them? That just, why aren't people being fined? Why isn't this being stopped? Money talks. Mm. I don't know, Ray, I guess these are agreements that we sign up to and then when we decide it's inconvenient, there's not a lot that can be done to stop certain interested parties. That's really upsetting. You do this to me every time, Chris. You suck me in with this amazing story about this incredible animal. Then you tell me how we're completely ruining that animal's ability to survive with human intervention. But then you always introduce me to wonderful people that are fighting on behalf of that animal. So who is fighting for the Eastern Curlew now? Hi, I'm Millie Formby and I'm a pilot and a zoologist. Millie works with BirdLife Australia as a project officer for the Migratory Shorebird Program in Newcastle in New South Wales. She studies the eastern curlew's migration patterns. We want to know how long these birds are living. We want to know where they're travelling to, what parts of the flyway they're using. Many people um, are probably aware that uh, shorebirds are the most endangered group of birds in the world, and that's because the wetlands that they rely on during migration are being developed. And there's also impacts of hunting and um, climate change and pollution, you know, all sorts of threats to shorebirds along the flyway. So she's an absolute bird nerd. She did, you know, she did her master's research on black swans and then she she got really into shorebirds and, and studying shorebirds and catching shorebirds and ring tagging shorebirds with little leg tags so that they could be identified here in Southeast Asia and Siberia by different people. And we, we know where they go as individuals. She's really into this kind of stuff and she cares so much about them. Uh, she had this uh, sort of idea what can I do to raise awareness and inspire people to think and feel about these animals the way that I do? I was really racking my brain about, you know, how do we actually get this message out and start to uh, educate people about shorebirds because they're absolutely amazing, these tiny little birds flying from Australia to the Arctic and back every year. It's just insane. Anyway, I was um, driving to work one day and this idea just hit me out of nowhere that I could learn to fly a microlight and follow the shorebirds on migration. I started flying with um, Gordon Marshall out at Sky Sports Flying School. I, I stayed up there for a week and I finally got the courage up to tell him that I had an idea and he just kind of looked at me and I'm thinking oh god this guy's gonna tell me I'm insane and what am I thinking and all of that and just said, you know, I want to fly a microlight from Australia to Siberia following shorebirds on migration. And he just looked at me and said, let's go inside and have a cup of tea, shall we? <laughs> and he actually sat down with me and uh, started telling me all of the things that I would need to do to achieve such a thing. And he ended up being in my corner from that point on pretty much. Why is it that shorebirds are overlooked? Why don't we pay more attention to them? 
Look, I think I think for people that are you know um, uninitiated for migratory shorebirds, they can be difficult to identify. But it's also as as we kind of talked about when they are on on land, they're often in these these places like mudflats where. That's not where, you know, that's not your white sandy beach in the Whit Sundays that you like to go to. It's that's it's a mud flat. And they're perhaps living in environments where a lot of us don't spend a lot of time. You know, we don't go to the beach to go to mud flats. And perhaps also part of the issue here is because they are the, the phrase gets used, they are birds without borders. Because of that, there are issues, right? Because who takes responsibility for them? Ah, got it. So because it's not something we can claim as being an Australian native species, really, we don't get to revere it as much as we would other animals that clearly just live here full time. Yeah, that's sort of a nice way of putting it, Ray. Uh, Maybe the other way we could frame that is that if they aren't from here, we don't have to be responsible for looking after them. But Millie is obviously working to bring awareness to shorebirds and to the Eastern Curlew. What did what did you think though when she told you about her plan to fly a microlite along with these birds? You know, if anyone else had said it to me, I probably would have thought, oh, okay, well, you sure you, you know <laughs> you can do that? What are you talking about? But um, I think Millie's the kind of person that inspires a lot of confidence. Um, she's the kind of person that. If she says she's going to do something, you believe it. That's why I chose the microlight aircraft because it is small. It's it's one of the smallest aircraft you can get. It only weighs 240 kilograms, which is very light. Um, It's also open cockpit, so exposed to the elements uh, like the birds are on migration. And also it flies at a similar speed to what the birds do. It's just really fun. Like you feel like you're... You are flying the plane. You feel all of the the bumps in the air and stuff like that. You feel everything that the wing is doing because you're holding on to it, like you're literally moving and flying the wing. It's a different, completely different experience. It is a ride-on lawnmower with a hang glider <gasps> attached to it. Uh, wow. That sounds <laughs> terrifying. Ah, I found it pretty effing terrified. <laughs> I flew with Millie and we took off in Newcastle. This is a couple of years ago. And um, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was ever inside something. I was always, I was dangling. Wow. You must have a lot of confidence in Millie to be comfortable to hitch a ride in what is essentially a flying ride on lawnmower. That's all I have in my head now. I'm insecure enough to pretend that I was completely comfortable with what was (laughs) happening. But as you might expect, Ray, the journey so far hasn't always been smooth. Australia is such a diverse country to fly in. And the day after I flew with Millie, something happened that made it even harder for her. So for those who don't know, a microlight aircraft, you can actually take the wing off the aircraft and transport it on the roof racks of your vehicle and then the base of the microlight can go in a trailer. So that's what we were doing. I was flying in all different parts of the country and hopefully, you know, drum up a bit of um, promotional attention at the same time and got to the first place I was going to go flying, which is Caboolture, just north of Brisbane and um, we were shifting the microlight trailer after we'd set the microlight up. 
and the jockey wheel of the trailer wasn't locked in place properly. So as I shifted it, the jockey wheel collapsed and the hitch fell on my left leg and broke my tibia. Throughout this period, Millie's mentor and close friend was a guy called Gordon Marshall. He was the one who taught Millie to fly and it's hard to describe how close they were and how important Gordon was to Millie. Shortly after this recce trip, Gordon died. When I finally got back in in my microlight, I always thought it would be Gordon getting me back in the microlight when I started flying again once I recovered and um, not having him in the back seat, that was really difficult. It was like he was my mentor and um, a, a, an amazing friend. Like Gordon had so much confidence in me um, from the get-go and it really helped build up my own confidence and belief in myself. So a broken leg, the death of a very close friend, and then of course the COVID-19 pandemic all meant this trip to follow the migratory shorebirds was unfortunately put on hold. Millie's still planning to fly around Australia, but she's waiting for the right time to try again. But recently, something amazing happened to her when she went to a bird nerd conference in Darwin. And afterwards, uh, the publisher approached me and said, would you like to do a children's book about your project? We want to have more female role models in STEM in our uh, children's book uh, repertoire. And I was like, hell yeah, like that's just a no-brainer. Hey, the main character is Microlight Millie. This is based on me. (laughs) And uh, Microlight Millie takes the reader on a journey in her Microlight and uh, shows shows the reader, you know, why shorebirds are awesome. All the amazing, phenomenal, flabbergasting fun facts about shorebirds. The title of the book is A Shorebird Flying Adventure and I'm going to be going on my own shorebird flying adventure to share the book, A Shorebird Flying Adventure. It's very meta. (laughs) It sounds like through her book and through the talks that she's given, she's able to raise the awareness that she aimed to raise by doing the journey. So maybe she doesn't need to take that trip anymore. Maybe she's accomplished her goal in a slightly different way. Yeah, possibly. Look, all I know is that I wouldn't try and stop her if she wants to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to take off from Broome when the shorebirds take off on their own northward migration to Siberia and uh, see if I can do a lap of Australia in the time it takes the shorebirds to fly to the Arctic and back. So it's a little bit of a race. I've given myself six months to do it. And, uh, yeah, I'll be stopping at over 90 places along the way to visit schools and, and read a shorebird flying adventure with students. Well, that sounds amazing. We wish you all the luck in the world with your trip, Millie. You've waited a long time to do this. You can pre-order Millie's book and find out more about her at the website wingthreads.com. Next time, we'll meet a new animal that's tiny, bouncy and has horny head lumps. So make sure you tune in. Look at Me is supported by the Australian Conservation Foundation. It's hosted by me, Ray Johnston, on Darug Country and Chris McCormack on Jajawaran Country. It's also produced by Chris from Remember the Wild and Jane Lee and Camilla Hannon at Guardian Australia. Camilla also did the sound design. Catch you next time. <laughs>